Listen to better music and listen to music better. Welcome to True Tunes at 45 RPM, the short form version of the ongoing conversation you'll hear on the True Tunes podcast and in the digital pages at truetunes.com. And now your host, John J. Thompson. Bill Maloney is one of those complicated, fascinating American musical treasures that has been so close to big-time success, but so tragically looked over so many times. Paste Magazine listed him among the 100 greatest living songwriters. Rolling Stone favorably compared him to Dylan. He has worked with Buddy Miller, Emmylou Harris, Mark Hurd, members of R.E.M., and more. And in the 90s, with his band Vigilantes of Love signed to Capricorn Records, it seemed inevitable that he would find himself right there in the mix with artists like Sunvolt, Wilco, Jayhawks, and the rest. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and I just got done recording a long, expansive conversation with the man himself, who is still active, writing and releasing new songs independently at a pace that would make most young artists faint. That episode is in production right now, but since Bill is in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign to give his incredible 1994 album Welcome to Struggleville the deluxe vinyl reissue treatment it so deserves, and that campaign will have ended by the time we are able to finish production, Bruce and I decided to put out a special short show to highlight it. Maybe you haven't ever even heard of this band, this artist, or this album. If so, we don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. One thing I have experienced over and over is that I have missed out on campaigns like this simply because the social media algorithms didn't choose to show me particular posts. Maybe you loved this band and this album, but had no idea that the project was out there. So we pulled this excerpt from my recent conversation with Bill to highlight this particular project, Welcome to Struggleville, from nearly 30 years ago, and to explain his vision behind the current reissue. Maybe you already know all about it, have already backed it, and like me, can't wait to see it all come to pass. If that's you, then this episode can serve as a little teaser for the full conversation coming in a couple of weeks. So the Welcome to Struggleville album, uh, which you are currently doing this Kickstarter for, you're, you're reissuing, you're giving it the kind of deluxe vinyl treatment. Tell me about that album, the way those songs came together, and what was clear. It feels like some several things really started to click, and Vigilantes of Love, as we came to know it, really sort of emerged from a chrysalis with this album. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. We had always had, I had always had a hard time, of, uh, a problem of keeping a band sort of melded together. Sometimes it was people being involved in other groups that were more successful. Uh, sometimes there were just difficulties with individuals who couldn't, um, you know, make things work in their lives on a personal level. And so they were available one time and not another. But with, with Newton Carter, you know, God rest his soul, we lost him a few years back. Uh, with Travis McNabb, who was actually on board as, as one of the first members of that particular lineup. And then Newt knew David Labrie. David's from New Orleans. It's just unbelievable uh, bass player. All that galvanized in a short period of time. And I had this new batch of songs that had, and they, they took them in a different direction, to tell you the truth. They were far more funky and groovy oriented than anything that I'd written. Most of my stuff in it was electric, was sort of Neil Youngish. And I was just getting to the place 
I'm still playing acoustic guitar almost all the time. I, I had electric guitars, but I didn't play them in the Struggleville band very much. I was still ramping up with the acoustic and playing it, you know, really loud and and a little bit of compression on it and just kind of, you know, being in your face with it. I didn't need the electric guitar then. You know, I mean, I had people like Newton, David and Travis who were just, I mean, if you go back and look at the 93 Cornerstone footage, there's yeah. a few songs up there. Right. It's blistering uh, on, on every song. So that's kind of where it went. And we were, we were starting to sell, we were starting to sell out shows in Atlanta. We were playing places like the Cotton Club, Eddie's Attic. We were, we were selling out shows. I thought, man, there's something going on here. Anyway, that's the band that wound up in Austin, Texas. In, um, in in '92, and and we got we got signed. Uh, mm -hmm. It was that simple. And it's like, well, three four months later, we're in the studio with Jim Scott. Uh, Jim came to Atlanta, and we went into uh, Triclop Studio, and that's where we started. That's where we banged out the basic tracks, and we came back to Athens and did the overdubs. And like I said, that band they infused those songs with more of a, a funk more of a rock and groove sort of thing. And it was it was amazing. And in fact, I told Newt when it was time to do the vocals, I said, I, I think you guys need to find another singer. I'm not sure I can sing these songs. And it was like, come on, you can do this. You wrote them. So there's a there's a couple little places, even on the Struggleville record, I think that's just a little out of my range, but I was still being belabored by the fact that, you know, if you could sing a song in G, but you can't hear it on the monitors, then put it in A and just bust a nut. And you're, you're going to hear yourself. That, that was my ridiculous philosophy about approaching songs and how to sing them. So there's a couple little moments on that record where I think, you know, I don't know, really, I wish that would go by quicker. But anyway, it, it, it is what it is, and it's what we worked with. Pictures worth 8,000 words. What I've seen is what I've heard. Well, the image rise flickers on the screen. You know, to get the Kickstarter thing for the double vinyl, you know, uh, it, it, to me it's exciting because I hadn't drugged the record out in years and I listened to it and thought, dang, this thing is unbelievable. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I just distanced myself from it for well over a decade. I mean, I'd hear a track here and there that it, it still feels uh, relevant, intense, and it's got energy in it that I, that I love. I thought, well, that, right. that's us. That was that band. That, that chemistry was there. This is the third one you've done like this. You did Killing Floor and then you did Audible Sigh. Uh, when you go back and you really are under the hood with these things and you're remastering things, you're you're doing liner notes, you're reflecting. Is it enjoyable? Uh, is it painful? Is it you know what what are the emotions you're feeling as you go through yeah. and, and revisit? That's things? a great question. I've been very aware that there's a bittersweet quality to it. There's nothing that you can freeze frame that lasts. It's like you know it 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 feels more like a grace now. There were some stars aligning, and I realized that I. When I went back and listened to that record, I thought, you know, Bill, everything that lined up to make that record happen, you know, whether it was Mark Hurd in front of it or, you know, Fingerprint and Dan Russell, the studios we went into, Jim Scott, I mean, he was working with just some great people. I thought, how did this happen? Because three months ago it wasn't happening. And all of a sudden the stars aligned and here we are. And you just start realizing that the thing that you're listening to is bigger than yourself. And the project is bigger than, so there's a little bittersweet quality about it. I thought, well, did I... You know, should I have stayed with this a little bit longer? I, I don't know. It feels more like a grace and that there was something yeah. outside making this thing come together and, uh, and, and come forth the way it did. Thanks, Bill. 
You can find all of the information you could ever want to see about Bill's music and links to his campaign at BillMalanyMusic.com, and we will also post links on the show notes page for this episode. The campaign ends on October 3rd, 2022, so if you are listening to this episode after that, well, sorry about that, I hope there are copies available in a high-quality format for you, because this album is worthy of high fidelity. Stay tuned for our full conversation with Bill, and if you loved this episode and you are new to the show, make sure to dig into the archives for our conversations with Buddy Miller, Bruce Coburn, Phil Cook, Blitz and Trapper, and so many other Americana greats. The proceeding was produced by John J. Thompson and Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions and is intended for the private use of our listening audience. The contents are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thanks for listening. Cheers. We'll see you next time. <laughs>